All right. Sometimes I don't think I need this microphone. Monica says I'm loud all the time at the house. And Brother Verl, what's crazy is I actually have good hearing. I can hear a, a mouse crawling across the roof, it seems like. So uh, it's not because I'm hard of hearing. You know, some people you know, yell whenever they get hard of hearing. Evidently, I just yell. It's natural. So, yeah, the lawyer in me, well, it may be. All right. We're going to get started this morning. Uh, any announcements or uh, prayer requests, updates this morning? I'll throw one out. Doug just told me in the hallway, BJ and Katie had their baby this morning. So he's going to announce it this morning. I think more of the details, but he just said that uh, baby Hera is here. So y'all keep uh, Katie and the baby, I guess, in your prayers as uh, this all begins. <laughs> Be with BJ too, probably. All right. Yes, ma'am. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Uh, Brother Albert's uh, sister, Ethel Sandberg, we've prayed for her, I know, in the past. She had some medical issues about a year or so back, I think it was. But she was in the emergency room this morning. They're trying to wait and find out what the results of that's going to be. So please keep uh, Ethel in your prayers. And uh, I'm sure you'll keep us updated on that. So we can pass along any info. Anybody else this morning? All right, as soon as Janae gets her seat, we'll have a prayer. No, I love how the trickle-in, the trickle-in effect always happens, doesn't it? All right, let's say a prayer together. Let's bow together. God Almighty, Father in heaven, we are so thankful for another day that we can gather together as your family here at Dalreda, that we can open up your word and study from it. God, be with me as I present the lesson. May I be able to open up your word and be able to parse it properly be able to uh, talk about these spiritual matters that affect us on a daily basis. And God, we ask that you please be with us during our spiritual struggles in this world, that we are very cognizant of all the things that can bring us down, that can combat against us, and that we do our best to arm ourselves for that fight against those things which are seen and those things which are unseen. God, we're thankful for this church. We're thankful for our family here. We ask that you help us to continue to try and grow closer together. May we have a, a tight-knit fellowship here so that we can lean on each other whenever we have those times of struggles, and that we can reach out to those who we know will be on our side and be with us in the thick and thin, and the good and the bad, because we are family. God, we ask you to be with the elders as they lead this congregation. May they continue to lead it in a way that's proper and in a way that is in accordance with your word. God, we know there are so many around us that deal with struggles and illnesses, those physical infirmities that tend to plague our bodies. And we ask you to be with all those who are sick, those especially of, that are Christians, that you may comfort them in these times of weakness as their bodies give way to illness or sickness or even death, that you be with us as Christians, that we will be your hands and your feet and your mouth to give them encouragement and love and support. We ask you to be with Brother Bird's family, be with Miss Sandberg as she undergoes the testing. May they be able to find out what it is that's 
uh, the issue this time and that they will be able to help her in any way possible, regain her health. God, we are mindful of BJ and Katie and baby Hera as they are uh, beginning this new part of their life. We ask you to be with the baby and be with Katie as they recover from the, the birth and that they will both be healthy, that they will be strong, and be with BJ as he leads that family, as the father and as the husband. May he have the strength to endure all the things that's going to come his way in the future as the head of that household. And may they, as parents, raise their child up in a way that will be uh, bring honor to you. God, we're mindful now of the Randolph family that have lost Kenneth, and we know that uh, Rachel has lost a father, and Philip's lost his father, and God, we ask you to be with that family during this time of their mourning, that we know it's sad, we know that it is not something that we fondly think about, losing someone on this earth, but God, we're so thankful for the wonderful hope that we have, that if we are faithful, we are obedient, we are dedicated Christians, that we have a chance for eternal life with you, and that God, we can have that hope, regardless of what, what comes in this world and what may come at us on a spiritual and on a physical level. We're thankful for Jesus because it's through him and his sacrifice on the cross that we have that hope. And it's through his name we pray. Amen. Amen. I didn't mention the Randolph family. I should have updated that. Don't forget that the funeral is today at 1.30 at university if you plan to go to support the Randolph family during that. Uh, I would say Randolph slash Hatcher family. I guess it bleeds over really thick here at Dalrada with the Hatchers. Um, but uh, keep them in your prayers. I know I went to visitation yesterday, and they said they had a tremendous outpouring of support. And uh, it's it's encouraging to see a family who deals with struggles uh, like that on this on this earth, but they always look to the spiritual aspect of it. I don't know if y'all if you went and visited with them or have talked with them. If you if you talk to Janice or you talk to Rachel, you talk to Philip. That's what you get from them is the fact that they're not focused on this physical world. And that resonated with me as I spoke with them yesterday at the visitation. And it really kind of leads into our discussion that we have this quarter, of the idea of the spiritual focus that our lives should have. And we are finishing up finally, we should finish up this week, uh, the lesson on our adversary, the devil. And so I want to really kind of hone in on a couple of final points of this lesson. This is really only lesson three, talking about the enemy of the camp. And uh, I want to really move on next week, uh, if I can, to uh, those who are fighting along with us, be the angels, and, and uh, I think that is something for us to really consider and think about on a spiritual plane, uh, what we normally see in this world as being those angelic beings, uh, those that are unseen, and I really want to kind of dive into the scriptures a little bit about angels, <clears throat> dispel some myths, which I hope I've been able to do with regard to Satan somewhat. Uh, today, I think I want to finally hit the, the put the final nail in the coffin with regard to some of the myths we have surrounding Satan and surrounding some of the things that we hear around us or some of the things we may even think in our minds sometimes about Satan. Um, but as we kind of focus in on who the enemy of the camp is, trying to figure out strategies, trying to figure out what may come at us, it's important for us again to understand his nature and understand who he is and what he wants. And we've kind of gotten into that a lot along the way as we've talked about where he came from and kind of what he's doing. We'll kind of continue that this morning as we think about Satan and who he is and uh, what he brings into this spiritual warfare in our lives. Um, I mean, how many of y'all have ever heard someone say, well, you know, the devil made me do it? 
You know, I've, I've heard that phrase before, right? It's kind of like you're shuffling the blame right off yourself, and you're kind of going to put it on the, the little red man with the pointed ears and the pitchfork, right? And say, hey, it wasn't me. It was the devil made me do it. I had to do it. Uh, again, a lot of that's tongue-in-cheek, it seems like. You know, people sometimes say that. You hear it in the movies. or I remember seeing cartoons as a child uh, with regard to one angel on one end, you know, whether it was a... Looney Tunes or, you know, Bugs Bunny having two different characters or maybe it was even a Disney uh, short that they had where you had the angel on one on one shoulder and the devil on the other, right? And they're fighting with them and each other trying to get you and persuade one way or the other. And you're just kind of thinking there's this constant battle going on between good and bad. And there is. But what I want to kind of focus on this morning as we end this lesson, this lesson three, dealing with the enemy of the camp, it's kind of looking at and exposing maybe a little bit of the fallacies of thinking that, that Satan is just like God. And the question posed to you, of course, for this section is, can Satan be everywhere? Because a lot of us look at Satan as being the one responsible for every temptation for every person whenever it ever occurs. Right? We, we, we blame Satan for that temptation. And maybe, maybe that's true, maybe it's not. And that's what I want us to look into what the scriptures have to say about Satan and his likeness or his similarity, his comparison, maybe even the contrast between him and God. Because this question to me kind of invokes that thought process of, is Satan like God? There is a mindset in theological circles of the idea of dualism. And the dualism is, is that, that you have Satan and you have God and both of them are equally powerful both of them are equal forces so to speak and you have this constant idea of of good versus bad and that both beings are so similar they have the same power they have the same abilities those kind of things and the problem with that is is it's not scripturally supported but a lot of us fall prey i believe into that mindset sometimes and thinking that that satan is just like god that he's everywhere he can be both here and across the United States and California at the exact same time. And what I want us to do is look at scriptures and try to answer this question, but also kind of exploring really some of the, the, the comparative traits between Satan and God. We, we thought, if you remember last lesson, if you can remember back, it's been uh, probably a month ago now, we talked about God, right? Talked about our commander-in-chief. And some of those main principles, those things that talk about him being deity, him being um, having no end, no beginning. Uh, he's omniscient. Remember we talked about that word. He's omnipresent, uh, omnibenevolent, omnipotent. He's all-powerful. We've talked about those traits with regard to God. The question is, is do those same traits apply to Satan? And I think as you look at the Scriptures, what you're going to unveil is the fact that unlike God, who is omnipotent, Satan is limited. He is limited in many different ways, many different uh, factors than God is. God has no limit. God is, the idea of God being everywhere is very hard for me in my finite mind to grasp. I think we talked about that when we talked about God, right? It's hard for us to understand how God can be everywhere. But that's in fact what the scriptures talk about. But there's no scripture that relays that same fact and point to Satan. So let's think about this point uh, for a moment if we can. Think about the idea of, of Satan and his power. Satan's power is limited. One main difference between Satan and God. God is omnipotent. 
Satan is not. When he was cast from heaven, we talked about last uh, class two weeks ago, the idea of him being a fallen heavenly being, uh, a fallen angel. That uh, when he was cast from heaven, Satan could not force his way back into those heavenly gates. In fact, uh, he would be confined in his power and in his presence. In fact, if you think about the scriptures that we have, there is a definite proof in the scriptures talking about how Satan is limited on where he's able to be. Look with me real quickly to Job. And Job, of course, I think is a great um, narrative with regard to the power, the experience, the personalities, characteristics of both God and Satan. But if you look in Job chapter 1, verses 9 through 12, here it says that uh, there's a response here from Satan uh, when Satan approached him. Now, if you think previously there in verse 6, it talks about there's a, a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and an upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And verses 9 through 12 is very telling about Satan's power. Okay? So if you want to think about the idea of the comparison here, thinking about what is Satan's power in relation to God's power? Again, God's power is unlimited. God has no limit on his power. He can do anything and everything that he wills. He created us from nothing. Created mankind, created this world when there was nothing. Does Satan have that same power? I would say no, he does not. Satan's power is limited. In fact, Satan is only allowed to do those things which God permits him to do. If he's taking power, look, verses 9 through 12, Satan answered and said to the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to his face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Now if we were to continue reading the narrative, which we're not going to take the time to read, and continue the book of Job, we know all the tragedy that befalls Job, right? The idea that he loses everything that he owned. His, his livestock, his, his family even. He loses his homes. His, his, those possessions go away. Why? Because Satan is permitted to directly influence those things, put his hand, so to speak, upon Job's things. But there was a limitation here. And that's the point that I want to make with regard to this idea of God versus Satan's power. Satan's power is limited because we see here in verse 11 and verse 12, a limitation that is put forth by God onto Satan that he must abide by. Now, again, if Satan is all powerful, just like God, there would be no limiting him. Does that make sense? It's logic. If there's no limitation with God and Satan is like God, that means there'd be no limitation with regard to Satan. Well, there's a problem with that because we have proof here that Satan is not like God. Satan can be limited. In fact, he was limited by God here in verse 12 not to touch Job himself. And in fact, he was not able to. Later he came back. Remember that? Later he comes back and says, hey, if you let me touch him, he'll, he'll curse you to his face. So what did God say? Well, you can do whatever you want to to him, but you cannot kill him. 
Remember that limitation? So later on in the story, even Satan was given that limitation that he could do anything he wanted to to Job personally. He could not kill him, though. And so what we see is Job being cursed, of course, with those boils to the point where he was suffering so much that he said, just let me die. I just want to die. But Satan could not take his life. Satan is limited by God with regard to his power. Think of some other scriptures. I think another good scriptural support of this is it comes from a New Testament passage. I've got it up there, Luke chapter 22. You, of course, remember the dialogue between Jesus and the apostles, especially Peter here as at the end of his time on earth when he's talking about them and, and talking about them being confronted. And down in verse 31 and 32, you're going to see here a dialogue that he has with Peter. Of course, if you remember before that, there's a discussion there preceding verses about who's the greatest and, and all those things. And, and Jesus goes on to say that... Uh, you know, you are the one who stood by me in my trials. Just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. You will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. There, verse 30. You see that imagery of Jesus talking about how important the apostles are. But he goes on to say here in verse 31, what does he say? Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Of course, that's when we start seeing here where Jesus says, you know, or Peter says, Lord, with you I'm ready to go both to prison and to death. And he says, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. We know that story, right? But encapsulated inside that story is a very important and sobering fact with regard to Satan and his power. His power is confined by what God will allow to occur. And here Jesus says, Peter, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. Let me put it in some plain speak. Satan wants to tempt you. Satan wants to take you down. Satan wants to treat you like he did Job in the Old Testament, Peter. That's what he wants to do to you. And you see here, there was no limitation. There was no denial. God didn't say, no, you can't do that to Peter. But in fact, there's an inference made here that in fact, Peter would be tempted. Peter would fall. He would succumb to the temptation. He would falter. He would fail. He was an imperfect man, just like we all are. And Jesus says there, when you once again have turned again, strengthen your brothers. The point's made there. The devil, the Satan, will be confined to what he's able to do but he will not be able to take you down. I will not let you be tempted beyond those things. We'll talk about it in 1 Corinthians, just a second, of those things which you're able to deal with. Yes, ma'am. You're reading my mind. You're great. No, Sister Dawn, no, you're, you're 100% correct. It's not a limitation solely by God, is it? That's a great point. Jumped ahead a little bit in my notes, but you're good. That's a perfect point to make. Just because the fact is, is that Satan's power is limited first by God, first and foremost by God. But there is yet another limitation of Satan's power. It's us. You see, because we're created very much like Satan was, because we are created with free moral agency, we have the ability to choose and in fact, you cannot say Satan made me do it because we have to choose to do it, right? That's why that's a, a, a bad way to say it, that Satan made me do anything because I chose to do it, all right? And that 
obviously goes right into the argument that Sister Noll just said, and the idea that we can limit Satan ourselves. You know, think about the, the temptation of Christ, right? Whenever Christ was tempted those three times by Satan, Christ had a choice whether he was going to succumb to that temptation or not. Did he not? I mean, any of you trying to argue that, that Satan, that Christ could not sin, is going to have a huge problem because our, our problem is, is that Christ was human. And just because he was man, uh, God in the flesh does not mean he would, did not have the opportunity or ability to sin. In fact, he did. He could have succumbed to those temptations one, two, or three times. Now, I, of course, would say if he succumbed once, that was all that would needed, be needed at that point because there would be a triumph then over God. There would be a, a, an issue there, spiritually speaking. But he could have faltered and failed, right, because of the temptation. And you see at the end of that dialogue, that narrative there, of the temptations of Christ, what did Satan do? Satan left. He said he left and he would come back when there's a more opportune time. I think it's kind of the phrase that some versions use. He's going to come back. He's not just giving up. He's not, he doesn't give up. I'm talking about an obstinate, stubborn, hard-headed being. That's Satan because he's going to keep at it. He's got nothing else to do, to be quite honest with you. And that's what his goal in life is, is to come at us. And so he's going to keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. But if we had that mindset that Christ had... And the fact that we are not going to succumb to that temptation, we're going to stay strong in the Word of God, which we see what, how Jesus conquered him, right? He kept looking back to the Scriptures. The Lord said, the Lord said, the Lord said. He, he grounded his answers, his lifestyle, his living on those things which we have seen in God's Word that God has revealed to us. And we can make that choice to limit God or limit Satan's power by not allowing him to take over our bodies, to becoming slaves to him. That's how Paul talks about it in the New Testament, doesn't he? That we're slaves of something. We're either slaves of God, or we're going to be slaves and, and subservient to Satan. We choose our side. When we choose that side in the battle, that's who we become uh, underneath their power. And we can make that choice. If we choose God's side, we are limiting Satan's power over us because we've made that choice. Brother Burr. true the same kind of mindset that's right well it goes back all the way to the garden though you think about from the very beginning what happened in the garden of, of eden there in genesis chapter three you see that mindset at the very beginning the idea i'm not going to take responsibility for my actions i'm going to blame something or somebody else and that's exactly what eve did right the serpent made me Adam, when Adam turned, God turned to Adam and said, Adam, my wife made me. Of course, sometimes our wives do make us do things to be quite honest. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, but that was the excuse that you see in the Garden of Eden is there that, that you know, no one's going to take responsibility. We're going to throw that responsibility on somebody else, and we continue to do that today when we sin. It is.
does. And then the power of Satan then is not thwarted. When we succumb to that kind of lack of responsibility, when we come to that lack of acceptance, then Satan's power consumes us, unfortunately. His control is brought into our lives. The idea of sin overtaking our lives becomes such an influential part of us that we cannot turn aside because we won't accept that responsibility like God wants us to. We're going to cast that on others. And you can see in the scriptures uh, multiple times that, of course, Satan is limited. Satan is limited in his power. That God has control over the levels of temptation that he allows us. Paul refers to this, and I alluded to it earlier, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You guys want something to to think about and kind of soak on. Uh, Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. Underline it. Highlight it in your scriptures there. And and you're going to see here, Paul talks about about temptation overtaking man. And what he says in verse 13, Paul says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so you will be able to endure it. Now God's going to provide the strength, the encouragement, the control, but it's still going to be up to us. Satan will not be able to tempt us. And this is an encouraging verse to me. If I face temptation, if I face something going on in my life, some trial, some tribulation, something that, that I think about, I reflect back upon this verse. Why? Because it makes me realize and remember that the world is in God's hands, not in Satan's. The world is in God's hands, not in my hands. And the control really relies there upon God. And if I start taking that out of kilter, It's going to make me have a whole lot of more stress in life, won't it? If you think that this world revolves around the decisions that you make, that this world revolves around all the tragedy that you're suffering through, this world's going to be a tough place to live. This world, if you have that kind of a mindset, will consume you to the point where you will forget who has the power. And God has the power. If we fall prey to the bad comments that other Christian brethren make, and let that consume our lives and discourage us, we fall prey to the idea and concept that God does not have all the power. If we fall prey to thinking that, hey, God doesn't want me to be here when the saints assemble. Let's just talk about attendance. Who's got the power there? There's a reason why God has plans, that God has things that are set forth in Scriptures, that he has empowered the elders here at Dalreda to try and oversee this congregation. And that's because he wants us to be supported and he wants his power to be seen in all things. If we start letting things come into our minds and thinking that everything is upon us, woe is me and I have no other options in this world, guess what? You are mistakenly missing the point. Because God will not allow us to be tempted or tried or persecuted beyond that which we are able to withstand and endure. When we start giving up, allowing our minds to be completely depressed maybe, thinking we have no other option, we're forgetting these things. I'm not trying to minimize depression, but I really think that sometimes some depression could be cured by a proper spiritual mindset. Some cannot be. I understand. I don't want to get in a debate with regard to 
chemical imbalances and, and depression and those kind of things. I understand that there's some, but I think some things in this world, if we had a proper spiritual mindset over the power of God and who God is and what God can do, would resolve a lot of our problems and a lot of our discouragement and a lot of our apathy and a lot of our fear. Because we would realize that God is all-powerful. Satan is not. And because God is all-powerful, He will not allow us to endure something that we cannot endure. If you don't follow that, you are lacking in faith. Because that's what God has told us. So you can take it to the bank. If God's power is with us, so that Satan cannot take us down unless we choose to go down with him. Then we can be assured and we can know that we can count on that. So whatever comes our way, we look for that door of opportunity. We look for that window that God has opened for us to crawl out of. We look for those solutions to our problems in ways which we can combat and fight against those spiritual ailments that we might have in our lives. Because we know that God is faithful, it says. God is faithful. He will not allow me to be tempted beyond that which I am able to bear. And the reason is because God's got the power and not Satan. Think about God, the, the presence of Satan. I don't want to dwell. I've got to move on. I'm not going to finish this lesson. I've spent way too much time on power, but I think it's important. Presence. Can, can, can Satan be everywhere like God? No, he cannot be everywhere. Satan cannot tempt both me and Melvin at the same time. He can't be everywhere. Now, there may be some things he puts in the place, course of action, so to speak. There may be some spiritual implications. But for us to say that Satan is tempting two people at the exact same time means that Satan can be multiple places. There's no scriptural support for that, by the way. In fact, it's just the opposite. When you think about the idea of Satan's presence, uh, in the previous lesson talking about God as our commander-in-chief, the idea was that God's presence is unlimited. He's always present. He's everywhere. On the other hand, Satan is not omnipresent. There's no scriptural support for it with regard to Satan being two places at the same time, multiple places, being everywhere at the same time. A lot of us in our minds, we think Satan's always the one responsible for temptations, and there's no scriptural support saying that Satan is actually the one responsible for every temptation. He brought sent into the world, yes. He introduced it. He, he brought about and, and took advantage of those uh, things which Eve lusted after, that she wanted, took advantage of that over in the Garden of Eden, takes advantage of those things probably on our daily basis with regard to some of us maybe. But Satan can't be everywhere like God. He's not deity. Every story about angels or, or about Satan, and you look in the Scripture, discusses a physical location where Satan actually is. Not that he's in multiple places. When Satan presented himself to Job, as we just read in Job chapter 1, he was before the throne of God. It didn't say that Satan, part of Satan was there and Satan was also roaming about on the earth at the same time. In fact, it says specifically, where did you come from? And Satan said, from, I was roaming around the earth. The, 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 illusion, the illusion that we see, of course, is the Peter, the idea of, of, of him roaming about like a lion waiting to devour somebody. And that concept is reiterated in Job, the fact that he came to the throne of God. He was in one place, one location at one time, Brother Burrow. Okay, good. I always like the confirmation from Brother Burrow. I, I, I told him earlier today that is high, high confidence when I hear him say that uh, 
something I have said or done is a good thing. That means a lot. But that's exactly what the scriptures say to us. Now, that's not what our mindset is, right? Every time we're tempted, we think, oh, Satan's tempting me. I'm not saying he's not, but I'm also not saying he is. Because the problem is when you come to the, the spiritual realm, the spiritual mindset of things, Satan very much could be the one responsible for directly tempting you. But it could be just as likely as the fact that Satan placed something in the effect. Satan has affected your life in some way. Maybe he influenced somebody else, and that's, again, placing pressure onto you. So to say that Satan is always responsible for what we are or what we are tempted with or what we are doing is not supported by the Scriptures. Satan roams about seeking to whom he can devour. You see, there, there's descriptions in the, the Scriptures in Matthew chapter 4, verse 11, and Luke chapter 4, verse 3. These are parallel passages talking about the temptations of Christ. And when after Christ was tempted, Satan left. Satan left. The book of James, when James talks about the idea of us succumbing to sin, and the idea that if we hold true, we hold fast, we stand against Satan, that Satan will flee from you, shows us an action verb and the fact that Satan would leave would not be in our presence anymore. Satan cannot be everywhere. He is not omnipresent like God. His position of God of this world, as we see described in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, was delivered to him. Luke chapter 4, verse 6. I think that's a very interesting thing to think about. Is the fact that Satan was confined, restricted again, with regard to his presence by God. In four, uh, Luke 4, verse 6, the discussion here is, is that the devil said to Jesus, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Who gave it to Satan? God did. God did. If his domain has been given to him, if his place, his placement, his presence is limited, there's no way Satan is just like God with regard to his omnipresence in this world. Satan's knowledge is also limited. I think this is interesting to think about. To what limitations? We don't always know because obviously he had knowledge about Job and his family, right? We saw that in Job chapter 1. There was some knowledge there that he had, uh, spiritually speaking. Uh, there is some identification that Satan, of course, knows certain different things and ways to approach people in the Scriptures. We can't get into all those verses, but we talked about a lot of them this morning already. But the fact is that Satan um, is not like God with regard to being all-knowing and all-omniscient. As a created being, formerly an angel, Satan would be limited in his knowledge. The angels are limited, by the way. I'm not trying to characterize Satan with anything that I wouldn't also characterize angels with. The angels don't know everything. I'll tell you one thing they don't know is when Jesus is going to return. They don't know everything. They don't always know the future. Why? Because you see the reaction that angels have over the actions of men on this world, right? Uh, there's the, the scriptures that talk about whenever um, someone comes back to Christ, when someone comes back to the Lord's church or his body, being reconciled and being forgiven of sin, repenting of those sins, what happens in heaven? The angels celebrate. They rejoice. Now, if the angels already knew what was going to happen, would there be rejoicing? I would argue probably not. They already knew it was going to happen. It doesn't talk about God celebrating and rejoicing necessarily like he does the angels, right? There is a reactionary 
principle there of something that occurs after something happens that I think argues the fact that the angels don't always know what mankind is going to do. They don't have a, a, a foreknowledge that God would have. But as I said, Satan, just like the angels, doesn't, they, he doesn't know when Jesus is going to come back. Matthew 24, verse 36, there is a limitation. Only God, our Father in heaven, is omniscient and knows all. Satan does not. <clears throat> That's what he says. Satan, Jesus says, not even the Son of Man knows when I, when I, when I come back. Um, of course, we could get in some arguments about the, did he know when he rose back up to the heaven, was reunited. But we know at that point, Jesus said, hey, I don't even know when I'm coming back. I don't know. There's a limitation. There's a limitation that is placed onto Satan by God with regard to what knowledge he has. We have a limitation with regard to power. We have a limitation with regard to presence. We have a limitation of, with regard to knowledge of those things. Satan would also have been grouped, by the way, with those who did not always know what prophecies meant. First Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. Real quickly, flip over there. <clears throat> this is not always one that's thrown out there, uh, but I think it's very interesting to kind of consider and think about because the prophecies, of course, are, are very complicated. We know a lot about prophecies because we have hindsight, right? We have the benefit of looking backwards. So we can kind of look back and say, okay, when Isaiah said this, he likely meant this. Sometimes we have prophecies being specifically explained to us, right? Christ does that sometimes when he says, hey, I'm here to fulfill this prophecy. And so you have that prophecy. Well, the, the overall idea about prophecies in God's word uh, and the, the understanding of what these prophecies mean sometimes is very shrouded, right? It's not always easy to see. And you've got to place yourself contemporaneously in those situations. If you were there, would you have known what God, what, uh, God was saying in the prophecies? Maybe or maybe not. That's why I don't cast a, I mean, as much fault with some as others might do with regard to the prophecies of when Jesus was going to be born, so to speak. Because we have the patchwork of putting all the different Old Testament scriptures together. We see the fact that he, he was going to be born in Bethlehem of a virgin mother. We see all those things. Well, at the time, contemporaneously, would they have understood all that? Maybe, maybe not. The limitation would have been less. That's why Hebrews talks about the New Testament being so much greater than the Old Testament because those things which were hidden have now been manifested and seen and explained and understood. That's why we are in such better shape than they were back then. But the concept of prophecy and those who are of spiritual mindedness has got to be explored here too. Satan's knowledge of the prophecies of God would also have been limited. Look with me, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. It says, As to this salvation... The prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. And these things which are now uh, have been announced to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Why would angels long to look into these things? Why? Because they don't understand it all. There was not a total comprehension there of the, by the angels into God's wonderful, miraculous, wonderful, extraordinary plan of salvation that he had placed in, in, the, in the events of, of going. And, and, and from the very beginning of time, God realized that this plan of salvation had to occur. 
But the knowledge of what the angels and those spiritual beings actually understood and realized did not occur likely until they occurred. They're just good soldiers on the battlefield. They're messengers on the battlefield, which, by the way, is the next lesson, if we ever get there, about angels being there actively involved by God. They are carrying out God's directives without question. But they longed to look in on them, right? They were interested. They cared. They, they were concerned. They were maybe even inquisitive about what God's plans really were. Why am I supposed to go surround the battlefield where Gideon is? Why? They may not have totally understood it at that point, but they did it. Why am I supposed to take this message to Zechariah the prophet? What does this really mean when the messenger appeared before Mary? Did the angels understand it all, I would argue to you, and say that the Scripture support really indicates they may not have understood it all. Nor did God necessarily explain it all to them. Satan would be right with them there, longing to look and to understand all these things because he was limited in his knowledge. Real quickly, the uh, last point um, that I want to look at, think about is, is what does Satan do today? Now this is pretty, pretty big, I think, but we've looked at a lot of these Scriptures already. And so I want to kind of go through this. If you want some more information, I'll be glad to hand these out or, or print this slide up for you with regard to it. But, it, you know, it's really difficult for us to understand and to say exactly how Satan acts in the world today. I've alluded to several different things as I've gone through the lesson even this morning, talking about uh, how Satan uh, acts today. Consider the beginning of the Garden of Eden, and you'll see there, there's no mistake about it, that Satan was responsible there for instigating and beginning the fall of man, would Eve had, had succumbed to that temptation to eat of the fruit of that tree of knowledge of good and evil, if Satan had been there, we don't know. But we know at that point in time, though, in Genesis chapter 3, that Satan encouraged it. He instigated, he tricked her, he deceived her into thinking that that was a good thing to do. And she took action, unfortunately, sinning against God, directly against those commands that he's given. His role is clearly described there. It may not be as clearly described in other places. You know, there's first, we see it in the, the book of Job. We see it other places in the Old Testament how, um, how he's involved there instigating the people possibly like the children of Israel as they're in the wilderness. And we talk about the hardening of hearts or the discouragement that, that God is provoking or God, not God, that Satan is provoking against God for the people to take action. We see his actions maybe directly in in many places there, some examples I think are much easier to be seen, such as David falling uh, because of Satan, the devil's temptation. You look in First Chronicles chapter 21 and you'll see the, the fall or the sin of David there because he listened to Satan. Satan encouraged him to number the people. And so in chapter 21 of First Chronicles, uh, there verse 1, it says, Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. Now again, does that mean that Satan made David do it? No, it does not. David took that action because Satan had moved him to do it. He had encouraged him. He had instigated him <coughs> to take that action in numbering Israel, directly defiant to the commandment of God. And so you see those scriptures like that that talk about the, Satan's work specifically being part of it. Others aren't necessarily as clear in the Old Testament. Uh, seeing exactly what was Satan's involvement, say, in the fall of Jericho. We don't necessarily know, do we? Was he involved there? Was he not involved? 
Uh, what about Satan's uh, part of some of the other tragedies that befell the Old Testament times of the prophets who were uh, forced uh, into you know, despicable deaths? Uh, do we know his involvement? No. We, we can hypothesize, we can guess that he probably instigated those, that he was part of it because he realized how important those individuals were to God and his work, but we don't specifically know. Even as Elijah stood there on Mount Carmel, I don't believe Satan is actually mentioned one time there. But you see Satan's hand being obviously involved there with the idolatry of the people as they stood up and tried to rebel against God. They wanted to sacrifice to Baal. They wanted to sacrifice to this unknown God, this God who was nothing. Why would they have wanted to do that? Well, obviously it would be the temptations. It would be the struggle that God, I mean that Satan would have provoked the people to do. He would have wanted them to succumb to idolatry. That would have been his plan. So how was he involved? We don't know specifically. But we can see that he had to have been involved some way or another in the, the passage. Same thing with regard to the New Testament. The New Testament is really no different than the Old Testament. Is that sometimes it's very clearly seen his work, his involvement. And these passages would reflect how Satan works. Consider a couple of these real quickly. Luke chapter 13 verse 16. Uh, and this woman, a daughter of Abraham as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years... Should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? Of course, we know that's a, a direct refutation of Satan, I mean, of uh, Jesus healing on the Sabbath. You see some other passages, such as Luke 22, where it says Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. We talked about that earlier. John 13, verses 2 and 27, here during the supper, the, the Lord's Supper instituted by the Lord. It says there in John 13 that the devil already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot. There's a direct involvement of Satan on Judas to turn his back on the Lord, hoping to bring about the downfall of the Lord Jesus and also the plan of God for salvation. Acts chapter 5, verse 3, we know the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Specifically, the Satan is mentioned there. It says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Lord? Satan was involved. He's involved in many other ways. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. You see in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, uh, you see him referred to the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. You see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18, there is the idea that, that Paul uh, and, and his comrades were hindered. Why? Because Satan hindered us, it says there. A direct a uh, attribution to Satan being involved there. And also in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of of the devil. How does he do things today? We see a lot of different ways. Look at that slide. I'll pick up here next week quickly as we jump into the messengers on the battlefield. Thank you for your attention.